Proverbs chapter 4. We're going to pick it up this morning where we left off last time. We, we started Proverbs chapter 4, but we're not able to conclude the chapter. We tried to, and it was a couple of weeks ago, because last week we, we did the business meeting, if you recall. But two weeks ago, we were in Proverbs chapter 4. We're going to resume where we left off. And we were able to get up to this final paragraph, which it set us up nicely because I'd really like to take our time through this final paragraph. It's a very rich portion of the book of Proverbs in my estimation. But we're going to pick it up in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20, and get to the end of the chapter, Lord willing, down to chapter 4, verse 27. But recall with me that these first nine chapters are subdivided into various lectures. Where you subdivide them is a bit subjective, but we have subdivided it into 12 lectures of the Father to the Son in these first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs. The point of all the lectures, cumulatively, the whole point is the Father is trying to persuade his Son that it is important that, yea, it is, it is of utmost importance. It ought to be the principal thing, the most important priority in your life to pursue, to gain and maintain wisdom. And so we're right in the middle of this eighth lecture here in chapter four of the book of Proverbs, and we've labeled it the personal appeal for wisdom. And we call it that because of the first four verses of the chapter is Solomon giving his own personal experience of receiving wisdom from his father, David, and then trying to pass it on to his son, Rehoboam. And so that sort of personal appeal is really uh, emphasized seemingly in, in this particular section. Well, the chapter we subdivided in half with the first 13 verses of the chapter was a personal appeal to get wisdom, to gain and maintain wisdom. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Well, then in verse 14, you see a pretty clear shift where he then makes a personal appeal to not only get or gain wisdom, but to avoid evil. So he elaborates on the latter half of the chapter, verses 14 to 27, on how we ought avoid evil and evil men, evil women, and how we, we ought to be careful about the company we keep, etc. Well, that sort of uh, that, that's the vein of thought that we left off of a couple of weeks back, and that brings us up to... Verse 20 to 27, this final paragraph of the chapter, which we'll read together in just a moment. But this paragraph consists of a series of commands or advice that is being given from Solomon to his son Rehoboam. He's giving these commands or advice in light of the two paths that were just mentioned. And that's where we ended last time. Uh, and perhaps it'd be helpful for us to reread those verses. But in verse 18 and 19, Solomon sets forth two paths that we ought to uh, that we could follow, right? There's the path, the way of the wicked versus the way of the righteous. And so he just gave us those two paths, those two options, if you will. But then he's going to move from there in the next paragraph or this final par paragraph from verse 20 to 27. He's going to climax with the command to guard your heart carefully for it, that is your heart, governs the rest of your life. And so this is a very rich portion of the book of Proverbs in that way because it's very foundational, it's fundamental, it's sharing some very important concepts that are key to the book. So if you've got your Bible, let's go ahead and reread the, uh, let's, I guess, back up to verse 18 for a second context and let's read down to verse 27. Proverbs 4.18 says, But the path of the just is as the shining light that shines more and more into the perfect day. The way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. 
My son, attend to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not depart from your eyes, keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are your life. Or, yeah, they are uh, life unto those that find them, and he, uh, health to all their flesh. Verse 23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Or the, it's the fountainhead of life. Put away from you a froward mouth, and perverse lips put far from you. Let your eyes look right on. Let your eyelids look straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Let all your ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove your foot from evil. Now, as we look at this this final paragraph, particularly verse 20 and following, though we reread uh, verse 18 and 19, the two paths, but, but that's where we concluded last time. In light of those two paths, right, he's, he's encouraging, the father's encouraging the son to not only make the right choice, but in so doing, to be sure that you maintain it, right? We talked about this again a couple of weeks ago, but it is true, biblically speaking, to be wise at one point in your life, but then to be foolish at a different point in your life. In other words, wisdom is to be a lifestyle. It's not a once you know, decision where it's, it's a minor decision that you make at some point in your life and that you're good from there forward. No, it's a constant decision that needs to be made uh, as a lifestyle choice to pursue wisdom, to gain it, but also maintain it. And so that concept of maintaining, gaining and maintaining wisdom or guarding your heart is really the, the kind of the climax of this chapter and this lecture. Now, again, just to summarize, to rephrase verses 20 to 21, in the words of Charles Bridges, he says this, quote, a neglected Bible is the melancholy proof of a heart that is alienated from God, end quote. In other words, this is a common refrain. We've seen it several times so far, and we will see it several more times in these first nine chapters. But notice verse 20 and 21, again, the father speaking. He says, my son, attend to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. In other words, it's over and over, repetitive commands, building one atop the other. The point is, he's saying, listen carefully. Or as Charles Bridges rephrases it, this neglected Bible, when we don't listen carefully or continually, to God and his words and his commandments, to wisdom, to wise advice, then it's the melancholy proof of a heart that is alienated from God. We've drifted away. Again, he also notes, Charles Bridges does, he says, speaking of, of verse 21 in particular, he says, if the word were never let out of your sight, your religion would still just be an idea and not principles, unless you, as he says here in Proverbs 4 and verse 21, Keep them within or in the midst of your heart. In other words, it's not enough to simply know truth or understand truth or hear truth. We must, we must listen. We must incline our heart to it. We must open up our mind to the truth of the scripture and let it permeate us deep within. So this idea of keep, guard it deep within your heart. That's, of course, he's, he's introducing this concept, which he's going to climax here in a few verses. Uh, the, the keeper, guard your heart. Be careful what you put into your heart. And when you put good stuff in your heart, the commands of God, the truth of Scripture, the wisdom that the Father is trying to impart to the Son, when you put that in your heart, he says you keep it in there. You treasure it. You put it up in safe deposit, if you will. And if you do this, if you are... are uh, careful and consistent in gaining and maintaining wisdom, 
Then he says in verse 22, for they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. In other words, this verse gives us the benefit of immersing ourselves in our Bible, keeping God's word in the midst of our heart. If we do that, if we are continually keeping God's word in the midst of our heart, then the result is they are life. It grants not only eternal life, right? Because we'll, we, you could, I don't put it in your notes, but you could cross-reference this with the New Testament passage, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul speaks to Timothy, says that we need to be uh, revering the word of God. He says, because through them is the knowledge of eternal life. So through the scripture, we gain understanding first of eternal life, life beyond the grave, life with God for all of eternity, but also in this life. The Bible is practical for this life, our daily decisions, wisdom that helps guide us into, remember we talked about a couple of weeks back, a few weeks ago, uh, the middle of chapter three, the idea of hayim, remember life in the plural, that idea of hayim, life as it was intended to be, that's the sort of life that, that the Bible gives us the wisdom to obtain, is to, to have, as he says here, life to those that find it and health to their flesh. And we, we, we make this observation over and over. We'll build upon it more in the future. But the sheer fact remains that those who live lives steeped in sin, they pursue sinful lifestyles. They live shorter lives, like physically speaking. Uh, with death and violence and disease that brings about the, the, the quality and even quantity of life is sapped, it's stolen, it's taken from those who indulge in sin. And so the author is saying to his son, Solomon to his son, he says, boy, please listen, gain wisdom, maintain wisdom, because it will be life, it'll be health. But then he gets in verse 23 to 27, he gets to uh, the heart of the matter, if you will, which is always the matter of the heart. In fact, several years ago in our, at our family camp, I'm trying to remember which year it was, it was several years back, our family camp speaker uh, had to cancel, you know, I think a week of, and so I was the backup. <laughs> so I spoke for family camp and we did a snapshot of this text. And so we broke it down into I think three sessions. And so I'm gonna try and condense that into just the next few moments. But we, we did a... A, a mini-series on this idea. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And we came to this text because it is such an important text, not only in the book of Proverbs and how it functions throughout the rest of the book of Proverbs, but of course for, the, for life in general, the Bible at large, it's a very important text. Because the text is, is getting to, as I say, the, the heart of the matter, which is the matter of the heart. He says, keep your heart, verse 23, with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So what I'd like to do for just a few moments is to do a, a word study of heart. Yes, in the Bible, we'll, we'll talk about other passages outside of the book of Proverbs, but primarily try to narrow it to our focus of the book of Proverbs. But the word heart is a very important biblical concept, as I have in your notes. The word heart actually appears in two different Hebrew forms, but both of which are typically translated into the English word heart. Those two forms, combine them together, this word occurs 852 times in the Old Testament alone. It's a hugely important concept in the scripture. And it's, it's important, but it's also a broad, it's a big concept that can be difficult to grapple with and really define. And so, biblically speaking, we're going to try to define the term heart, as, and we'll go to several passages to do so. 
but you, we can define it with three basic ideas. The heart, in Bible speak, is referring to the center of your thoughts, the center of your affections, and what I call the citadel of the inner man, or as he puts it here, it's kind of another way of saying that it, the, the heart is the fountainhead to life, that all of life flows, it issues forth from the heart. It's the core, the, the control room, if you will, the center of your being. So let's illustrate that just briefly. Limber up your fingers. Let's look at a few passages here today. There's many passages in the book of Proverbs that deal with the, the, the concept of the heart, and we can't exhaust it this morning because we just don't have the time. But we'll, we'll do the best we can to try and get a, a picture of this. All right, so let's look at those, those three big ideas. First, how the heart is the center of your thoughts. If you got your Bible, look quickly at Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 18. And notice how it describes how the heart, notice this, this is a heart that devises wicked imaginations, right? We'll come back to this later, but it's, it's listing off the seven abominations of God, things that God considers abominations. Well, in, it says in verse 18, one of those is a heart that devises wicked imaginations and then feet that are swift to running to mischief. But notice how here the heart is described as devising or coming up with, planning carefully, uh, wicked imaginations. So again, it's the center of your thoughts. Look at chapter 16, just to illustrate this further. Proverbs 16, verse 9 says something similar. He says, A man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So again, the word devise, which means to lay out a plan very carefully. Uh, that is, again, a, a, an attribute, an action that's attributed to the heart. Chapter 19 of the book, same thing. Chapter 19, verse 21 says, There are many devices or plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. Last but not least, Proverbs 23 and verse 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. In other words, these passages reveal that the heart, in Bible speak, refers to what's going on in the inside of you, particularly your thoughts, what you think, how you devise or lay out a plan, your thoughts and plans for life. Your, again, it's parallel in, one of those, in, in uh, chapter 19 with the word counsel, the counsel of the Lord versus the devices of men. You and I lay out carefully laid plans, but then God's counsel or plan ultimately is what prevails. But nonetheless, these passages illustrate that core to the biblical idea of heart is our mind. It's our thoughts and how we think through issues and respond to issues. In fact, in the words of uh, Chuck Swindoll, he used to say, life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we respond to it. That idea of how we respond to life, how we think through the circumstances of our life, how we not only react, but then act we plan, we, we think through life. That is a faculty attributed to the heart in Bible speak. But not only is the heart the center of our thoughts, it's also the center of our affections. Again, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 25 this time. Notice it says, Father speaking to his son, he says, uh, and the context is the strange woman. So let me just read verse 24 as well. He says, well, verse 23, I guess. <laughs> the commandment is a lamp and a light 
The law is a light, verse 23. Reproofs of instruction are a way of life. Why? Or how? In what way? How do they apply? Well, verse 24, to keep you from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of the strange woman. Then he says in light of that, verse 25, lust not after her beauty in your heart, neither let her take you with her eyelids. Don't be deceived by her beauty. In other words, again, notice the idea of the lust or the desire, the affection that uh, the young man might have for that uh, strange woman, he says, is it occurs in the heart, it says in verse 25. So again, my heart consists not only of what I think about, we won't go there for a second time, but Deuteronomy 9.4 also uh, parallels that. Because, uh, and I'm primarily trying to stick in the book of Proverbs, but when I did this at family camp several years ago, we, we broke it into three sections, the idea of the, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And one of them was to trace this idea through Proverbs. One of it was also to trace this idea through the book of Deuteronomy. And so Deuteronomy is just, there's a lot of Deuteronomy notes mixed in here because uh, it's a hugely important text that, or book that illustrates this idea. But in Deuteronomy 9.4, it talks about how they say in their heart. They speak in their heart. It's, it's someone talking to themselves, right? It's their internal thoughts. But my heart not only consists of what I think about, but also what I become affectionate towards, what I learn to love. And those two ideas are connected. What we think about most is typically what we love or learn to love. But here we see the idea of, of lusting in our heart is evidence of this, but we also see it in our passage, chapter 4, verse 23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. Again, the idea of, of what my what I think about is what I learn to love, and what I love is what I pursue. Right? It's what I want. It's what I plan to try and achieve or receive. And this idea of these, these connections of my thoughts with my affections, which then shape my plans, uh, this, is, this is, again, that's kind of the next step. But the heart is so vital, according to these passages, because it is the center of my life. It governs so much. But what's, what we're going to see as we work our way through the book of Proverbs is as important as the heart is, it's also fickle and it's fragile. You can love one, one thing today and something else tomorrow. It's fickle. Is our heart loyal? It uh, should be. But that loyalty is a godly characteristic that we must learn. It's not something that is typically, you know, inbred. I don't know about you, but whenever we go shopping, you know, and I got these little kids along, you ever seen them? Ooh, that looks amazing. And they love this thing and they have to have this thing. And then they see something else and they're like, whoa. And then that thing goes back to the shelf and they run over to this thing. And then they buy all this stuff and then they go home and then they throw it away. Exactly. No, I mean, their heart is fickle. They want this. They want that. It attracts them, draws them in. But then they have no loyalty to that thing, right? And then we're throwing toys away later right? <laughs> or giving them away. But the idea is that it just illustrates how fickle the heart is, and but also how fragile it is, how we must, as the text implores us, guard our heart. So again, heart first, center of our thoughts. Second, center of our affection. But because it is the center of our thoughts and affections, it is also then what I call the citadel of the inner man, or it is that which is the lifeblood to our existence. Citadel, as I say in your notes, is just another way of referring to the fountainhead. That's the, uh, and we'll develop that in just a moment, but that's the illustration he uses here in chapter 4, verse 20, or 23, when he says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it 
are the issues of life or it is the fountainhead of life. All of life flows from the source of your heart. That's the idea. So a citadel is just another way of referring to the fountainhead. In other words, our heart is the lifeblood of our existence, the control center of our life. It governs what we, because what we think about and what we love or we are affectionate toward is what we plan to get, to gain or maintain. So our plans, our devices, right, our counsels, our desires, or our shape, our, our desires. So my heart is what I think about, what I love, and it leads to my attitudes, my actions, my behaviors. All of it flows from my heart. I like the way Dane Ortland elaborates on this concept. He says this, quote, one thing to get straight from the start is that when the Bible speaks of the heart, whether Old Testament or New, it is not speaking of our emotional life only, but of the central animating center of all that we do. I like that phrase, the central animating center of all that we do. He goes on to say, it is what gets us out of bed in the morning, what we daydream about when we drift off to sleep. It is our motivation headquarters. The heart in biblical terms is not part of who we are, but the center of who we are. Our heart is what defines and directs us, end quote. Again, it's the the central control room, the citadel uh, of mankind. So this idea is, again, it, we're, we're trying to take, there's lots of other passages that we're excluding for sake of time, but we're trying to take these big ideas, boil it down. What is the heart? Well, the heart is, the again, the, the center of who we are. But this concept of the heart appears over and over throughout the pages of Scripture. It appears most frequently in these top four books of the Old Testament, Psalms, Proverbs, Jeremiah, and Deuteronomy. It'll, it'll appear 137 times in Psalms, 99 times in Proverbs, 65 times in Jeremiah, 51 times in Deuteronomy. And these are the books of the Old Testament that use the word the most. It appears in many other books, of course, but usage-wise, Psalms, Proverbs, Jeremiah, Deuteronomy are the most important Old Testament books that, that flesh out this idea. Our focus this morning is the book of Proverbs, and so buckle up, we're going to get through all 99 references. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I do want to give you a sample of what the book of Proverbs has to say about our heart. Now, for sake of time, we're not going to be able to get to all these uh, passages. Feel free to jot them down, and I can get you these notes if you're interested. But in the book of Proverbs in particular, it describes our heart in in at least 16 different ways. Depending on how you subdivide, you might even get a couple extra. Proverbs 12, for instance, will describe that our heart can be perverse. We can have a perverse heart. Proverbs 28, 14 says we can have a hard heart. Proverbs 12, verse 20 says that we can have a deceitful heart. A deceitful heart. One that is bent towards deception, that we attempt to deceive other people. So we can have a perverse heart, a hard heart, a deceitful heart. We looked at it just a second ago, but back in chapter 6 and verse 25, we can also have a lustful heart. Right? He says, lust not after her beauty in uh, your heart. Chapter 10, verse 20 says that we can have a wicked heart, which it describes as, as being of little value, little worth. A wicked heart is of little value. According to Proverbs 14 and verse 13, we can have a sorrowful heart 
We can have a heart full of sorrow. When we get to, we'll get to this one later because I lump it in with a lecture on this later. So this isn't the only time we're going to deal with the heart in the book of Proverbs. But this is kind of your overview introduction. According to Proverbs 13 verse 12, we can have a sick or a broken heart. It's actually talking about, in that context, uh, the idea of, of not physically sick per se, but emotionally sick, or what you and I would consider disappointment or depression. Proverbs 13, 12 talks about that. Proverbs 16 and Proverbs 18 talks about a proud or a haughty heart. We can have a proud heart or a haughty heart. Those are synonymous ideas, different words, of course, but... We see in Proverbs 19, Proverbs 28, that we can have a foolish heart or a fretful heart. Foolish heart is kind of your catch-all category for all of these different descriptions. You know, it's the opposite of the wise heart. But the fretful heart is the idea of anxiety. In our modern society, we simply relabel that. We call it anxiety. But it's the same idea, a fretful heart. Proverbs 23, 17 says that we can have an envious heart heart, a heart that envies sinners or envies someone else that perhaps the wealthy or somebody that has something that I want that I don't have. Our heart can be envious. We also can have a heart that despises other people. Proverbs 11 verse 12 describes a heart that despises other people. Again, that's kind of synonymous. I mean, it's a different, uh, it's a more specific description, but it would be similar to the proud or haughty heart. Right? That it's where we think that we're better than other people, so we look down on others. We despise others in our hearts. That maybe not on the outside, but on the inside. We think little of them. We despise them. Proverbs 20, verse 5 will also point out that the heart can be mysterious or a deep well. There's various ways to interpret that phrase, but it describes how the heart is a deep well, and it takes wisdom to draw it out. But the core concept seems to be the idea that our hearts are mysterious. Sometimes our hearts are hard to figure out. Not just someone else's heart, but our own heart. We can have a hard time trying to figure it out. Sorry, I think it kicked back, but let me go back. Mysterious heart. And this is so true, right? This is, we, 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 and this is part of growing, right? We'll talk about it more later, but this is part of the growing process, growing to maturity and adulthood, is learning the concept of self-awareness learning the concept of self-awareness that so many times, like I said, my, my, I use the illustration of my children that are running from one thing to the next, right? In the, in the store and they, they want that shiny. Oh, and that, that's shinier. And, you know, and, and they're kind of fickle. Well, the idea is, you know, they, they can't even figure out what they want. You know what I'm saying? They don't even know many times those core desires that they have. They're not even aware of that. And part of that is age and experience but as we'll see, it's, it's, it's the wisdom that comes with that age and experience that the book of Proverbs is telling us. That's how we learn to become discerning. Uh, many times, people who are just struggling to be content, it's because they, again, their own heart is fickle and they can't figure themselves out. More on that in just a moment. Of course, Proverbs 10.8 talks about the wise heart. Right? That's the, the opposite of the fool 
is the wise. The wise heart is what we want. That's what the book of Proverbs is trying to teach us. We have all these other ways that our heart can be. Deceptive, lustful, sorrowful, sick, proud, haughty, all of these other descriptions. He says, but what we ought be is someone with a wise heart. That's kind of the broad category of of the positive side of what the book of Proverbs is is teaching us. More specifically, however, a one who is wise in heart also has a merry heart. Merry heart. They are full of joy, joyful, joyful individuals. That's Proverbs 15, Proverbs 17. And it talks about the benefits of a merry heart, a happy heart, a joy-filled heart. Proverbs 14 will also talk about a sound or tranquil or calm heart. Proverbs 14, verse 30. And then, of course, what we talked about a few weeks ago, back in chapter 3, the idea of a trusting heart. Right? Lean not on your own understanding, but on your ways. Acknowledge him. He'll direct your paths. This idea of trusting in the Lord with all our heart. Proverbs 3 and verse 5. So that's just, again, kind of a quick summary of how the, the book of Proverbs in particular describes our heart in various ways. But getting more specific, the book of Proverbs also is going to teach us how God relates to our heart. Go quickly to Proverbs 17 and verse 3. Let's look up a few more passages here. Proverbs 17.3 says, The fining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tries or tests the hearts. In other words, our heart can be described in any of those manifold different ways, but God is the one who first tests the heart. We do we have examples of this in, in history or in, in you know, scriptural history where God tests the the heart of someone. He puts them through a circumstance to see what was in their heart. Okay, that's probably the first one that comes to my mind as well is Abraham, right? When God says, okay, who do you love most, Abraham? Who are you most loyal to, God or Isaac, your, your son? So he says in the Genesis 22, it says God decided to test Abraham. So what does he do? He says, offer up your son, your only son, Isaac. And he sees what how Abraham's going to respond. Same thing, Deuteronomy 8, for instance. God, it says, takes the children of Israel through the wilderness. It says why? To test them and to know what was in their heart. That's a profound concept. Uh, yeah. Job. Job. Excellent. Another good one. Job, when he is put, in, put through difficult circumstances, right? He loses everything. Family, health, everything. You know, his, his, uh, his wealth all of it gone, how does he respond? Well, he responds with humility and worship to God. Yes? Oh, yes. Well, you guys are studying the book of Judges, right? I mean, this, you're illustrating this week by week in your women's Bible study. book of Judges illustrates this same concept as well. And really, the concept is, is simple, right? We get it. You put, you create a difficult circumstance. And the circumstance is the test, the pressure Right? And, and as they say, when you get squeezed, right, what's on the inside comes out. You know, that's the idea. Is it's, 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 you're being put through the crucible of life. And th- we do this in microcosm. Right? I mean, this is, again, Hebrews chapter 12 tells us good parenting does this. But so does, it uses a similar parallel thought with a coach. Remember this? I've shared this before, but, you know, my coach used to say, that when we were in wrestling practice, it was going to be hard. Practice is just practice. 
He's, we are manufacturing a fake trial. That's the whole point of practice, is he's going to make life difficult before you actually have to face the opponent on the mat during your match. The, pra- the whole point of practice is to put you through difficult times, to test you, to push you. Why? So that you become stronger, that you learn where your lines are. So many times, right, we want to quit. And he says, nope, push harder, right? Because that, that, that weakness on the inside, that willingness to quit or, or tap out, he says, you got to get past that. So that's the whole idea of the test, the crucible, yeah. Mm-hmm. Washington says to Thomas Davis, why are you smiling? He says, because football is fun. And then you start questioning him about it. And he finally says, like, football's zero fun. Zero fun, sir. <laughs> That's right. Remember the Titans. If you haven't seen that movie, put it on your to-do list. But, but you're right. And it's illustrating that, that sports concept of, and again, that's, it's a biblical concept. Hebrews 12 points to it. But the idea is God puts us through tests in life. But not only does he test the heart, he also ponders the heart. In other words, he analyzes the results of the test. Look at chapter 21, verse 2. It says, Every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord ponders the hearts. More on that in just a moment. But the idea of ponder the heart is the idea of putting it on scales, weighing it. God ponders the heart. He also searches the heart. Chapter 20, verse 27 says, The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. The inner inner man. God searches us out. But what's interesting is as God relates to our heart in this way, he also, the book of Proverbs is teaching us also how we are to relate to our heart. According to the book of Proverbs, chapter 22, verse 15, 28, verse 26, and this is parallel to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 17 is really one of the classic biblical passages to go to to talk about the sinfulness, fickleness of the human heart. But the Bible tells us that our heart is naturally foolish and deceitful from birth, not to be trusted. Now, by the way, this is a fundamental biblical concept that is absolutely rejected by most of modern culture today. Most of modern culture today is built upon the romanticism of the Enlightenment period and Rousseau and this human philosophy that we are inherently good, that we are born with a clean slate, that given the right environment, we will turn out perfectly. And I've always told you this, right? Rousseau and romanticism, and he was a philosopher that, that, that taught this, and we've imbibed it in most of Western culture. You know the story? Rousseau, I, I forget if it was three or four children— he decided to raise his children according to his own philosophy. But you know what happened later in life? He disinherited every single one of his children because they were absolute worthless human beings. And so I'm just saying, his philosophy did not work, okay? But nonetheless, that is so much of modern philosophy is based upon the opposite of what the Bible says. The Bible says our heart is actually foolish and deceitful from birth, not to be trusted. Rather, it takes work, effort, focus to gain positive character or what the Bible calls, what Proverbs calls a wise heart. A wise heart, we're not born with a wise heart. We're born with a foolish heart. But it takes this this pursuit of wisdom, what the book of Proverbs is trying to convince the son to do, to pursue wisdom, right? We talked about it back in chapter two. The idea is pursue it uh, carefully, 
consistently by going to God, his word, prayer, etc. The, the path that we laid out in Proverbs chapter 2, first six verses of the chapter. But we must gain a positive character or a wise heart, according to the book of Proverbs, rather than a perverse heart. Because what happens if you leave someone alone, leave a child alone without any guidance, teaching, or intervention? They will grow up with a perverse heart, not a wise one. That's what the Bible says. It takes structure. It takes teaching. It takes guidance to bring them to wisdom because it's not naturally inborn. But not only do we need to gain wisdom, as we've already said, we also need to maintain it. And this is where our text really comes in. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20 and 27, our text is telling us to guard our heart. And we need to guard it, particularly from negative stimuli, the wicked things. Proverbs 22, uh, 3 and 27, verse 12, those two verses say the same thing. In other words, it was important. They added it twice. <laughs> but it says that the wise man foresees evil and hides himself, but the wicked pass on and are punished. The wise person sees where the temptation is. The wise person sees where evil influences are, and they avoid those things. They avoid those people. They avoid those places. Why? Because they're guarding their heart. They're trying to maintain, gain and maintain wisdom. So they, they guard themselves, keep themselves from negative stimuli. But the wicked or the foolish just pass on and are punished. In other words, life catches up to him. Consequences catch up to him. But we must guard our heart, according to Proverbs 4. Why? Because our heart, uh, again, the center of our thoughts and our, our affections, we must guard our heart. And what that means is govern our thoughts and emotions. Look at this quickly. This is just another way of saying guard your heart, to govern your thoughts and emotions. Proverbs chapter 23, verse uh, 19. Father speaking to the son. He says, hear thou my son and be wise and guide your heart in the way. I love that. How many of y'all, and I always pick on it because it was the first one when I was a kid that stuck out to me. But uh, the old Disney movie, Thumbelina, you know, the really old one. <laughs> um, but it's the, the theme of that movie, the theme song is follow your heart, right? That is still the, the banner of uh, Disney to this day. Follow your heart. If it feels good, do it. If that's what you think, go for it. Well, the Bible says the opposite. Do not follow your heart. Rather, he says, you guide your heart. I love the way he puts it uh, in, in Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 2. He says that the heart of the wise is on his right hand, but the heart of the fool is on his left. And he's using a biblical idiom, the idea of right hand versus left, because the majority of people, sorry, Tim excluded, I think 7% of the population are left-handed or ambidextrous. I think last I read, 7%, maybe that changed. But most of the population is right-handed. And the idea is the right hand in biblical speak becomes a symbol of control, a symbol of strength, a symbol of power and authority. The left hand becomes a symbol of, of chaos or lack of control, or it's actually the word that's also later translated sinister, to do something with the left hand. Remember this? <laughs> to be sinister, to be duplicitous, is that you're doing something with the left hand, right? Is, is, it's the unexpected hand. Remember Ehud in the Bible? All right, he was, anyways, I'm getting off into it. But the point is, he says, the wise man's heart is on his right hand. The point is, you control your heart. 
You don't let your heart control you. You control your heart. Why is this important? Why must we guard our heart or govern our thoughts and our minds? Because, again, as our text points out, Proverbs 4, verse 23, because our heart guides our attitudes and our actions. The heart is described in Proverbs 4 as the fountainhead to life. And we could go on and get lost in this. I've talked about it before. I've developed it before. But the idea of the fountainhead of life in the ancient Near East, in Israel, we have lots of examples of this, but water sources are so precious. We get this, right? We live in northeast Nevada, right? And uh, Ward, you and I were complaining about this years back. I don't know. They'll probably come back. But Vegas, right? Remember trying to sue us and get our water rights? Right? Why? Well, right, I, mean, I mean, Colorado River's drying up, right? The western United States is in a, I mean, we're in trouble, right? We're, we're running out of water because we've had this population boom. All these people move out here. We don't have enough water. And so we, we got issues, right? We understand the idea of water rights. And we understand fighting for a good water source, protecting it. Why? Because your life depends on that water. Well, that's the same thing. He says here, your heart is the fountainhead of your life. That's your water source. Everything is going to flow from that. You need to guard it. You need to keep watch over it. In fact, the word guard in our text, or keep your heart, verse 23, is actually, if you take that verb and you turn it into a noun, and this appears in 2 Chronicles, I have them in your notes, 2 Chronicles 11, 2 Chronicles 12 and 14. If you take that and turn it into a noun, it's the word fortified city. That's where I get the idea of the heart being the citadel of the inner man. It's a fortified position. Let me develop that for just a moment, and then we'll, uh, then we'll, we'll get off of it, all right? Because I, I got to wrap it up, and we'll be done for today. How many of you, you ever heard of John Bunyan, right? Pilgrim's Progress, all right? Anyone read Pilgrim's Progress? Yes. If you haven't, greatly encourage you to. So he also wrote, a, he wrote many books, but another one that is less known, it's less well-known than Pilgrim's Progress, but it is really profound, is uh, Holy War. You ever heard of Holy War? Anyone read Holy War? It's a personification, right? He takes, and it's, it's, it's the same thing as Pilgrim's Progress. Like, he, he's, he's developing a storyline, but he's using analogies to do it. So he talks about Mansoul is the, is the town. And I encourage you, you know, go check this out. But Mansoul is the town, right? So Mansoul, what is that referring to? The soul of man. It's us. It's the inside. It's our heart. So he talks about the city of Mansoul that is on the inside. It has all these people that want to betray because it's the most beautiful, gorgeous, fortified city that serves the king of heaven. It was created and built by the king of heaven to serve the king of heaven. That's Genesis chapter one, made in the image of God, etc. He says, but then he goes on to describe how there was a, there were wicked people in Mansoul that hijacked the city, that took it over. That, that took the loyalty of Mansoul from the king of heaven. So the king of heaven comes to reconquer the city. And it's, it's really a profound analogy as he builds it. But one of the things that sticks out, because I, I got this note that I just developed as I read or I actually listened through audiobook um, with, through Mansoul, the holy war, the fight for Mansoul. And, and I just would make notations. And I'm like, whoa, that's profound. Stop, you know, make a note. And... One of the things that stood out to me is he talks about the mighty walls of Mansoul. It's a fortified city. It's a citadel, unconquerable, unless you open the door from the inside. And that's what happens. The city falls because they open the door from the inside and they let it fall. But the gates 
are the ear gate, the eye gate, the mouth gate, the nose gate, and the feel gate, is what he calls it. These are the avenues into the soul. And he, so he, but he, he describes in a rather pro, profound and kind of poetic language how we ought guard those gates. And we need to put, you know, and he even has like these soldiers that are at the gate. And I forget all the names of the soldiers, but like Mr. Godly or Mr. Resolve or Mr. You know, whatever. That they're at these gates guarding the gate. Why? From these evil forces that want to come in and take over man's soul. But what happens is the evil source on the outside flatters and deceives to the point that the people on the inside say, oh man, maybe they're right. And they open up the gates and the wicked come in and take over the city. And then the king of heaven and his armies march against the city and they have to retake the city. But they have to convince them that they're the good guys. And it's like, whoa, this is so profound because that's us. It's life. It's the human heart is we are so fickle and we must be careful to guard our heart and maintain loyalty to the king of heaven. But when we let in the wicked, when we listen to the false ideas and ideologies of the wicked one, then we open up our heart. We open the gates, if you will, to man's soul and the wicked come in and and take over. And so the fight for Mansoul is then when, and you can read the story on your own, but it's when they, they ultimately let in the king's armies. But it's a fight now for the king's armies to take back Mansoul and to get rid of all of the wicked, disloyal people in the city that have, that have hijacked the city. And it's a picture of the human heart. It is so profound. And I encourage you, if you haven't read it, check it out. But that's what he's saying. He says, guard your heart. And how do we do it? We, again, and then with this I'm done. But notice in the text, he says, verse 24 to 27, put away from you a forward mouth and perverse lips put far from you. In other words, be careful what you listen to and what you talk about. He says, let your eyes look right on and let your eyelids look straight before you. Be careful what you look at and what you learn to love. Ponder the path of your feet. Be careful where you go and who you're with. He says, verse 27, turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove your foot from evil. We must be careful about how we live our life. Why? Because what we do impacts our heart. And our heart is, again, it's, it's the citadel of man. If it's pure and it's, it's affectionate, loving, loyal to the right things, we live life for the glory of God. But if we learn to love the wrong things, it poisons the rest of our life. And our actions and our affections, all of it is soiled. And it leads us into disarray. So the, the father of the son says, guard your heart. Isn't that good? Whew, that's profound. All right, there's your homework assignment. Go check out John Bunyan, Holy War, Fight for Man's Soul. All right, but let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the text this morning, the passage before us that is so important, so practical, but Lord, so difficult to live, so difficult to apply. Lord, we ask that you would help us here today to understand the importance of our heart, but the fickle nature of our hearts and how, Lord, we must be very careful to pursue wisdom, to gain and maintain a wise heart so that we do not succumb to the wickedness of this world, that we do not begin to to think or ponder or be affectionate towards evil, which then results in 
uh, Lord, are our own downfall. Lord, teach us these important truths and help us to live in light of them. So we commit this time to you. We pray your blessing upon the next service. Lord, might you guide and direct in all that is said and done. And we ask you to do this in the name and for the sake of the Lord Jesus. Amen.